Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. Welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. I'm Jason. I'm John. I'm Kate. Jennifer. Like, we're out of order. This I know. Today. We all kind of, like, I just look down. I'm, I'm going to wait until someone else speaks. Well, so here's what I discovered is my normal seat is one seat over to the left, and it's not. I'm one seat over to the right, and and John's to my right now. Normally, John, you're over to yeah. the front left, in front of me Vi- to the left. That's right. Visualize it in your minds. So now, well, and here's the other part, because this is, we're sitting in the library at the church, which is a rectangle table as opposed to a square one. Now I have to more intentionally, like if I want to see if, if I want to see if Jennifer has something to say, I've got to actually turn my whole body because my neck doesn't turn very well. That's true. But we have okay. swivel chairs, so it helps. They do have swivel chairs. That's right. That's the perk. How's everybody's fourth? It was good. Yeah. I spent it with half the people in this room. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's that would just be your husband. My husband. <laughs> it was good. It was pretty good. We my son's home from uh his summer vacation time away at his dad's house and we did a little birthday party and it was really fun to have people in our home. It was good. Yeah. That's awesome. I didn't have anything to do on the night of the fourth. My husband was working and my girls were gone. So I literally was by myself and I went for a walk. And I went to bed and did not watch the fireworks. He so we not, had we had people from our couple's small group over the morning of the 4th. And we made breakfast burritos. Lots of I, I invited a bunch of people. But we had like 30 people at my house. Um, and then the parade, which the parade got delayed for two hours. So people started showing up at like 7.15, 7.30. And then it was three hours later for the parade. Mm-hmm. And then we got finished. I, we were trying to figure out what to do for the fourth fireworks. I ended up falling asleep at 6.30. <laughs> I woke up. I woke up to fireworks going off and going, what was that? I had, We were watching Miss Marvel on Disney. Next thing I know, I'm waking up. And Lisa's like, yeah, you've been out for like three and a half hours. Wow. It's a I, busy weekend, though. Uh, and your body obviously needed it. I was so out of it. We have the best view of the fireworks. We're never telling where we watch it. But it's, it's, <laughs> I think John's one of the... John and Derek are probably the only people that on staff that know how to do it. Uh, I'm, is it yeah, yeah, we were going to and opted not to because of little kids. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's where we were going to. Should have joined you. You should have. I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, I was going to, the, but it's. Yeah, I'm not going to say we where it is. We brought Bianca. Either. Oh, fun. Yeah, we brought Bianca. So there would have been like fifty of us there. Had we done it the way I wanted to, there would have been like fifty. And I, I called them. No, no, yeah, not going to happen. Yeah, it's tricky. No bueno. But you do have a good location for the parade. You have the best you location. Do. We have a parade. great location yeah. for the parade. Yeah, yeah it's depending and, on your view of the parade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, you know, it's so the fourth because like Clear Lake gets really busy. Mm-hmm. Do you okay. know what the influx of people is? Isn't uh, it supposed to be like close to sixty thousand? Uh, yeah, someone told me we reached day. over a hundred thousand. Oh, I bet. Last year, or something carnival like that. Carnival was so long this year. So we had we five days, almost six days of carnival. Or yeah, I think it was six seven. days. It was six, six days of carnival. Days. They were here Tuesday to Tuesday. Now make sure we say carnival, not carnival. Totally different things. Carnival <laughs> from Rio. Yeah, that's carnival. South America. Ah, a lot of people call it the Midway. Which is, you know, a phrase, but it's funny because I've never actually heard it called the really? Midway from anything. But yeah. Why? Midway's just a phrase for carnivals. I've never yeah. heard that in my life. That's new. I've learned something new today, Jennifer. There you go. Well, hey, we're, we're in our, uh, we're continuing in our This Is How I Fight. 
And today, this Sunday, we're actually talking about the fear of scarcity, not having enough. All right. Okay. Now I'm going to go straight to Enneagram because why not? Mm-hmm. As an Enneagram 7, my I, this, is, this probably rings more true with me than anything else because I'm always afraid of not having enough experiences, fear of missing out. But here's the bigger one is, uh, and this was the hard one for me, for, as an Enneagram 7, one of the lies is the fear of not having my needs met. Uh, and it's the fear of pain. So that's why I'm often running to new things because I don't, I want to avoid pain. And I was processing through it and I went, what, what is it within me that I'm, a, I'm afraid of pain? Because in reality, I, I've learned to press into pain. So I'm not afraid to talk about experiences or that kind of stuff. Feelings, not as much. I, I don't like feelings as much. Um, but I realized when I was younger, one of the ways that I avoided pain was through silliness. That was the experience. And I was super, I know you're all shocked by this. I was really obnoxious as a kid. Um, but I remember telling a friend of mine, this was decades before I'd ever even heard of the Enneagram. And a friend of mine, he was like, Jason, why is it that when, when I'm around just like my friends, I'm super calm, collected, not a big deal. But when I get in crowds where I didn't know people, I got so uncomfortable in my skin that I, I tried to create an experience. And I remember telling him, I said, I'd rather have people hate me for what I know I'm not than hate me for who I actually am. Yeah. yeah. So I put on this mask. Now here I am 30 years later studying the Enneagram. And I'm like, oh, that was a thing. <laughs> it was a very real thing. And it came from a fear. Uh, but for me, the scarcity was the scarcity of self-worth. Like that was a real thing for me. So as, yeah. I, as I was writing this, I was thinking through, I always, I tend to think of scarcity as about resources, money, time, that kind of stuff. And I, man, this got deep real fast, didn't it? We didn't even like, we didn't even take much time. Let's go. Let's go. Boom. There it is. Hey, it's the Dennis's. So uh, real side note, (laughs) Megan Dennis, our executive director, had her baby a week and a half ago. No, she's not a squirrel. She's walking by. She it came was in. literally like your head turned. I and did. Easily distracted. Okay, so back. So let's get deep again. So here's what I was as I was processing, and I didn't share this in the morning because I just didn't feel like it was relevant to where the message was going. Um, but I think one of the things that a lot of people are they fear scarcity of is the sense of worth. There's there's there's, there's a scarcity of. I'm not enough. Absolutely. And you said it in the sermon read through. You said the fear of not getting, having, or being. being. But I only alluded to it. I didn't spend a whole yeah. lot of time on it. But uh, honestly, the being enough was the big one for me. That's like, mine. That really stood out for me. And for me, it was being enough to handle, am I, am I wanted? I think we've talked about like, like my biggest fear is I don't want to be needed. That's where probably twos in me are different. I could care less. In fact, if someone says they need me, my gut reaction is that you don't really care about me. You just care about what I do for you. My big fear is wanting to be wanted. And so as I was writing this, I was thinking through all those things and, and processing like, wow, scarcity really shows itself up in a lot of different ways. Okay, so let's, that being said, I just shared my reality, things that I've struggled with, like I said, got real deep, real fast. When you think about scarcity, what comes to mind for you guys? So you alluded to the same thing that's, fear of being enough, and you kind of alluded it. You feel comfortable saying more? Okay. Well, scarcity for me, one, we are so blessed to live in a community that we do, in a time that we do, that there's not really a whole lot of scarcity 
in our communities. There is, but there really isn't comparatively to the rest of the world. Like food scarcity, housing scarcity. We don't have a lot of poverty. We do, but we but don't. It's not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. We're very, we, we're very, very blessed. Um, and I grew up in an environment where comparatively I was on the low income end Thank of you. poverty. Um, I was very lucky to not ever really go hungry, but I definitely knew what food scarcity was. I definitely knew how to measure out and steward the things that you have, how to be very resourceful of what you have, because there's not enough to go around. If you waste it, it's not enough to go around. Um, And I never wanted somebody to feel like if by my presence, you didn't get enough because Hmm. I was here. Now you don't get to, because I'm around, you don't get the things that you need. So my, my thing wasn't always that I needed to be needed, but that my presence took away from your needs. So in order to counteract that fear of, Oh, now you're not going to have enough because you have to take care of me because of whatever. So, you know, I'll, I'll take care of you. See, now you need me around. Like yeah. you're, you're better off. So because you're needing I've been a here. need. So that for you, would you yeah. say that, uh, that wanting to be needed is not so much like an intrinsic, I need to be no. needed. No, like if somebody told I me to... I need you, I'd be like, Ugh. But it's okay. more so for you, it's more of if I'm needing, it means I'm not taking. That's right. I like, that's I good. Really, I, like, I really that's like interesting. the feeling of like when, if I'm at something or I do something and somebody tells me, you know, that words of affirmation kind of, and somebody tells me like, oh, we couldn't have done it without you. I'm like, yes. That's my love language. <laughs> That's my jam. Or like, oh, if, if you wouldn't have been there, would it, it wouldn't have been the same. So you want I'm some like, peanut oh. butter with that jam? Because that was yeah. <laughs> That was good. That was my jam. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like there's a, a one-line sentence that every Enneagram number has that if you say it, they go, oh. Oh, wow. that's my heart. You know what mine Thank is you. when somebody says, what are you doing tonight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, yeah. hey, I want to hang out. What that's you that's like my, that's, that's my way. If someone says, what are you doing tonight? Or like, hey, you want to hang out? I'm like, yeah. Let's Even do if it. you already have plans, it <laughs> yeah. feels good to like, yeah, That's cool. Unless yeah. it's somebody I don't want to hang out with. And then I'm like, I'm busy. <laughs> but even but even but then, it feels good. But it feels good. Yeah. That's right. I was gonna say. But even then, there's a little bit. That's right. I feel good, but you are not gonna feel good by my reply. <laughs> okay, I was thinking about for me. One, my first thought is maybe I'm not very self aware in this area um, because I can't come up with something like right away. But I do. There's one area that I think for me where when you talk about scarcity, and for me, it's that I'm. And it, I, it's very similar to Kate, but just a little bit different, but that I don't have enough to offer you. Oh, yeah. So it's like at some point I will expend all of my energy, all of my resources, all of my time, all of my knowledge. And it's not enough. And it's not going to be Whoa. enough that I will run out on you. And so, yeah. yeah so so you, know what's, you, you know what's interesting about that? Because the eight Enneagram eights, which is what you tend to identify with, uh, in insecurity goes to the five. Right. Which, which is more knowledge. That's right. Yeah, more and the, research. And the fives always, they're the researchers, the planners. And it's also why eights feel like they've got everything worked out because they go into scheming mode without any meaning to. They, they study, they research so that they can protect themselves, which when they have that information to protect others is beautiful. Right. But when it's to protect their own control or sense of right. worth, it gets twisted. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was thinking Self about Self-Pres 9 over here. Let's yeah. talk about scarcity. Yeah, I was like <laughs> well, I was I made a joke. I'm so sorry John to interrupt you, but I have to say this joke. So I made a joke earlier when we were talking about Enneagram. I know we keep going back to it, but it's just useful language. And I was like when you're talking about your stacking of being like a one to one or so, a social okay, well, Yeah. Let's let's define stacking because people are like what's that? So subtypes are you have your primary so you have your Enneagram number and then your subtypes are your instincts the way you ma- manifest that out. So that's a, that's what she's referring to because I'm like some people are like what's stacking? I was gonna get there after oh, I said I'm it. Sorry. Okay, no, I'm it's so good. Sorry. I don't have to be I'm the only one talking. Anyway, so then you go from one to one social or self prez and the one to one person I most identify with that subtype and I feel mm-hmm. like when you walk into the room if I walked into the staff meeting my husband's on staff my first thought of people is of people and it's my husband and then i go down the line of who's my people okay everyone's here they're good oh where's jennifer today you know what i mean like i i get there like that and then i said some some people like jason who's got the social subtype you know when you walk in the room what do you think of? i'm immediately thinking of everybody else the group how's the group how's the group you could could probably sense the dynamic i'll even say how are my peeps how are my peeps because they're (laughs) all your peeps And it's also, oh, yeah. I, had, yeah. I had somebody, because I call everybody brother and sister. I need to. It's just kind of my thing. And I had somebody like, I'm not your brother. And I'm like, sorry, bro. <laughs> oh, wait, uh, uh, but John <laughs> identifies as a self-president. I said, you guys, you know what John thinks of when he walks into the room? <laughs> this looks so funny. Where's my backpack? <laughs> because he's got all the things he needs for himself. <laughs> sorry, John, you give yeah. your thing now. I'm just teasing you. Yeah. That was really funny. Uh-huh. All right, mm-hmm. self-preservation I, nine. When you go into scarcity, Y'all didn't know this. It's going to be an Enneagram talk today. Probably. No kidding. I do. Yeah, I do carry around a backpack everywhere I go. And it has all of the essential things that I know that I need. Magic cards? No, 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 no. It, it's like my not laptop exactly. goes in there. And Your what? My laptop goes in oh, there. <laughs> so not what I heard you say. My, I don't know what I heard you say, but it wasn't laptop. Medicine or Things I would need maybe in an emergency. It's never really happened, but you know, just to have it like there. A first aid kit. Uh, Do you carry around a first aid kit, John? No, no, no it's okay. just <laughs> it's just the medicine that. that I would need. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I would love it if you actually did carry around a first aid kit. I usually care. I do usually have a first aid. But kit. see oh, that sometimes. that's that that's would be your kidsman animal. Yeah, yeah that would be a, a good essence. thing to have, but. I'm self. I'm, I don't need to worry about anyone fixing anybody else. No, he doesn't wear band aids. <laughs> uh, no. What do you think the scarcity is in that? Well, I think it's so. I have theories. <laughs> <laughs> it's, good us, it's good for us to look at ourselves. Yeah. Poor John. Hey, John, we're going to dissect and analyze you <laughs> in this self preservation yeah. night talking about scarcity. Well, I, I th- I'm thinking so when I. You know, I, when I hear scarcity, I always think of stuff. Immediately, that's what I go to. Um, and, you know, not having the things that I need at the, at the time that I need them. I'm always I'm always kind of conscious of that. And so I think I, I, think I you know, really identify with, um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I tend to over-prepare, but only the things that I know that I need sure. or the things that I know that I want. Um, but the thing that I've tried to do in, in recent years, like looking at the Enneagram and going deeper into it, the thing that I've tried to do a little bit more and be better at is extending that circle of preparedness. Now I'm like, 
oh, is there something that Kate needs? Is yeah, there something or Gabe. that Gabe needs? Wow. We need to go get that stuff. Well, Which is good like, now that you're married. We've had a conversation <laughs> of like introverts and yeah. extroverts. Like introverts are generally drained by being around people yeah. and they are refueled or refilled by spending time alone. Yeah. And extroverts are opposite. They are drained by spending time alone, but refueled by spending time with people. Solar powered versus battery powered. Right. right. Well, well, John... It was kind of fun. Like introverts, sometimes they'll not count their loved ones as people. He's like, you're not people to me. You don't drain me. Yeah. But spending time with me, even though he's an introvert, doesn't drain him. And it's I was the like, the same oh, thing as spending time. I'm not a people. I'm not a person to you. That's, so <laughs> That's what it, yeah. when not being a person is a compliment. But it's like as, as a self test nine, yeah. he counts me yeah. as something that he needs it's, with him. Right. And I was Absolutely. like, oh, that just fuels my heart. Yeah. Okay, so now when we think about Which we your Right. To your scarcity, right? Right. Well, and that's the thing is I'm I'm not a burden. Right. I look at my wife and so and I think this is the this is the hardest part about being married. The person who knows you the best also knows how to wound you the most. Yeah. Right. Right. And and I think but when we're at our best, one of the things that my wife does for me is and and a a couple years ago I had to finally express this to her. I never express needs to her ever. And so for years, she called me her Superman. Her silverback was her nickname for me because I never said I ever, I ever need anything. Mm. What human being doesn't need something? Yeah. But I was so afraid of expressing it. Well, now that she knows that about me, and this is what I love about my wife, my wife now will ask me, what do you need? Whereas before, she never would ask. And that's, sure. that's but that's for that self-awareness and that vulnerability. Okay, so this brings back to, uh, let's go. I, I What kind of sparked the scarcity stuff, I'm reading Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. And as I've been thinking through the resisting the devil, and last week we talked about the fear of man. And and again, I had a totally different direction I was going to go this week. <laughs> and then I started reading, I was as I'm reading Darren Greatly with a couple of guy friends of mine, and she talks about vulnerability. And the only way to overcome scarcity is to be vulnerable with somebody. The only way that you can actually get past that fear of not having enough is to have people in your life that you can express your needs where you can be vulnerable enough to share. And vulnerability is scary. Yeah, And that was the part I think about my relationship with Lisa. I, for years, two decades, I had this, I had needs, but I would not express them because I didn't think she cared. And it's not because she never demonstrated that she cared. It was a lie I believed. Right. And once I shared that, all of a sudden, now she's asking and and it's, it's freeing. And it kind of goes back to, you know, when those are closest to us, if we're vulnerable with them, that's part of the way we resist the scarcity is having people in our life that we can be honest with. And yeah. I think the thing about vulnerability too, I mean, I just, I do think there's so much power in saying things out loud. Yeah. Like, like if you want to talk about resisting the devil, I think bringing things to the light where they are no longer hidden in the darkness yeah. goes a long way to being able to overcome that. Because now it's not that you don't have that fear anymore. But it's that, A, other people are aware of that fear, so they can help you with that, and they can help recognize that in you. And secondly, it's not, a, it's not earlier when I was trying to think about what I'm most afraid of, I'm like, I'm afraid of fear. Like, I'm afraid that I'm going to be afraid. That doesn't really go to the, the scarcity mindset so much, but it's like, that you won't be brave enough. Right. That I, yeah. So You lack courage. Yeah, or a lot courage, you know, and so that's not really a fear of scarcity, that's just a fear in general. And the thing about that is, is like speaking of that out loud, removes the fear of that fearful thing. Yeah. You but I actually, I think it does speak to the scarcity. It's the fear of not being enough. Yes. It's yeah. not a scarcity of abundance of a money or a resource or something like that. It's an emotional resource. Like what if, what if my fear gets the better of me and I'm, cause that's, 
as an eight, a big part of the core eight is strength. It's that I, I can, I'm not afraid. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to protect. I'm going to, you know, eights yeah. are called protectors for a reason. And but for me, sense. it's not even so much that like, like this, I cannot tell you how many times this happened after sisterhood, after sisterhood, where I'm like emotionally, spiritually, mentally poured out onto the people there, both into my, into the team and into the women coming that I literally am driving home, like completely exhausted and praying that God will refill me so that I can pour out on my husband or my children, you know? And so I, yes, I don't want like, there's a fear of fear, but it's, I, it is more than that of just like in the end of the day that I just am not going to be the person strong or otherwise available or whatever the thing might be for another person. You were talking a little bit about, um, you know, speaking that stuff out into, you know, speaking things out, the power of being able to counteract fear by speaking it out. And um, part of the Celebrate Recovery steps and their principles that are based on the Beatitudes, the fourth step is that you take an honest moral inventory. And it is the hardest step for people to go through to honestly look at it, but they don't make you do it alone. And for every positive or for every negative, they have you do positive things too. And like everything, an honest moral inventory of everything that you've done. And you confess it out to one other person. It says to God and one other person. And I always thought that that was so powerful because could you, I'm thinking about like, okay, who's going to be my sponsor? Who am I going to reach out to? Like, who do I trust? I was like, I was going through this list of who it would be and be like, they can't go to Zion. Um, they have to be a woman, you know, and that's part of the rules too. But it yeah. was like, I specifically need a woman. And it's like, and I'm like going through these lists of things. And I was like, man, I was afraid. Yeah. I was so afraid of like, who would I tell everything to? Yeah. It's crazy. And, and that's sometimes the resource that I think we're afraid of or that scarcity is I don't have people. Mm-hmm. And and here's also, I've been having this conversation with a couple of friends of mine and, and I have several f- friends in my life who have admitted that they have a hard time letting people in. Yeah. And then they're realizing, oh my gosh, what happens if I actually need something and I have nobody? Yeah. yeah. Because I've, I've locked everybody out. Mm-hmm. And that's why COVID, we are still seeing the effects of isolation from quarantine well, and things like that and children up all the so way So if up. you get a chance uh, on uh, Carrie Newhoff's podcast, mm-hmm. Um, leadership podcast he had Andy Crouch on mm. and he talked about the devastating effects and he actually used he coined there are three phrases uh, when they when COVID started was it going to be a blizzard or was it going to be a snowstorm a blizzard or an ice age mm. <laughs> and everybody thought it was just going to be a blizzard it was going to be really fast and be done in a couple of weeks not a big deal mm. and then it started getting longer people were like well maybe this is going to be no sorry is it a blizzard is it a season or is it an ice age that's what it is blizzard season or ice age so are we in mm. winter Right. Or is this right, just right, a right. blizzard? Is it just a storm? Or is it an ice age? And he goes, and then it started going longer. We should go, oh, it's just a season. And he said, now it feels like we're realizing that COVID actually is an ice age, that we're not going to see, understand the full effect yeah. of what COVID did for to our culture for decades. Yeah. Yeah. And he said specifically for children. Yeah. Because, and I listened to another podcast that was talking about like, you have five-year-olds mm-hmm. who missed two years of social education. Oh, Yeah. And now they're coming in and, oh, they, don't know, and they don't know how to have conversations as seven-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Or you have 13-year-olds who are now 15 yeah. who don't, because most of the education that happens in high school or junior high is socialization. Yeah. And they're yeah. coming in and they don't know how to work as a group. We have high school seniors where their last normal before, pre-COVID year was as a freshman. Right. 
think about how much growth you have as a freshman, freshman to, to a senior, senior in high school. Yeah. Much like how much you mature socially, spiritually. So would, don't you? I mean, don't you think that like part of what happened with COVID? Okay, so I remember this. The first three months of COVID happened, and you had people who were like, "Oh my gosh!" Like this was actually I didn't realize how much busyness was in my life, and yeah. and I'm so grateful now. Spending time with my family and and oh, I, you know, well, I'm never going back. This revealed just sports and stuff like that's really not the answer. Yeah, I saw and that everywhere. The, mm-hmm. And then the minute yeah, things could. opened up. They went back like seven times stronger than before. Now all of a sudden they're exponentially busier. It's like they forgot all of it. Mm-hmm. And now what they do is they don't romanticize COVID. They go back and they go, oh, but look at all we missed out on. Yeah. Look at, we, we missed on sports. We missed on this. And it I'm almost like, fuels that scarcity. It does. And so mm-hmm. COVID fueled scarcity. But when we were in the middle of it, I kept on hearing people praising God yeah. for being forced right. to slow down. Yeah. yeah. And and it's, so I think that scarcity sometimes... I wonder if part of what happens in our mindset, and we're not even getting into how the enemy lies and uses scarcity right now. It's just all us. But I wonder if part of the problem with scarcity is, one, when we're in something, we may actually be thankful for it. But then when we're out of it, we look back and go, oh, but look at all the things I missed. Even though when when I was in it, I was grateful for it. Does that make sense? I mean, I even think that about relationships. I think if you're dating somebody, it's like in the moment you romanticize it. And then after you can either go, well, that was terrible. Or or look at all the things I don't have now from that. Even if it was a terrible relationship. So in the moment, even if you know it was terrible and even it like outside of it, you go, yeah, but you know, it offered this and this and this and this. And so there's a lot of things like that in our life that in the moment, I think we're almost clearer than after. Yeah. After it. It, because hindsight is not 2020. And also the way that we, <laughs> the, the, the way that we distort our memories and our perception of things and our own, oh, our absolutely. own egos distort true reality where then it's like, Oh, and I look back on my time of COVID I'm like, yeah, I, I did slow down. I really appreciate it. No, I didn't. It was like a full, it was like a six month Kairos for me being useless. <laughs> it was Kairos's language that we used about having a horrible, well, horrible come to Jesus moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know, just being on church staff, I can remember very distinctly and, and, being like, okay, if I can't do X and X and X and X things, I still have to do of something other to minister yeah. to them. Yeah. Right. And well, so even though I could stop these, either, even though I had to stop these other things, now I had to create option one, two, three, and four yes. for this other thing. So actually for me, from an employment standpoint, that was far I busier was busier. I was way now. busier. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think about, so I worked at a camp. Uh, did you work at a camp? I did, yeah. John. Was it inspirational? I cannot wait it to was. tell you something that I'm going to do. Oh, okay. But I, want, I don't want to interrupt the thought, so you go. Okay. Are- <laughs> at the <laughs> end, at the end of every summer, like week eight or nine, we would always sit down as a staff and they would go, all right, guys, we're almost done. We've only got a few weeks left. Don't miss out on these last few weeks. Don't wish them away yeah. expecting... Mm-hmm. Like looking forward to school or to work or to going yeah. back home or whatever. A, because the kids that are coming this week deserve as much energy as we gave week number one kids. But also, 
you, it's going to be gone and you're just going to be looking forward to the yeah. next thing and wishing oh, away oh, the time so that you true. have. I think about that time when I was really, I, I used to say the weight of waiting is heavy. Yeah. Like it is a heavy thing to wait on the Lord. And I remember waiting, John, for you to propose <laughs> to me. <laughs> I remember it was so hard and everybody and their grandmother was like, oh, just enjoy this time. It's so special. You'll love it. And I was like, this is hard. I want what I want. I want it now. And you're like, stop talking, John. You keep yeah. saying that. <laughs> yeah. But, and now I look back and I go, man, those were precious. So, yeah. okay. So now when we look at scarcity and, and this is, I had, I, one of the things that I try and do is I try not to have my theology be cement. And here's mm. what I mean by that is sometimes we can get into a belief system. And then the only thing we do is reaffirm that belief. And I'm not talking about the core doctrines like Jesus is God, salvation through faith alone, scripture is God's word. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. And um, I had, I don't even remember who had told me this, but a friend of mine said, if you're not thinking one heretical thought a day, you're not thinking. And I actually, I really like that challenge because the idea is sometimes we, we put too much stock in our belief system and sometimes in things that really aren't as important as we make them out to be. And I've been guilty of that. I always say, don't put God in a box. Yeah, well, and, and unless he put himself there. Like, Jesus is the only way to salvation. God put that box there. Yeah. Like, I'm not putting God in a box. God put himself in the box there. Nope, this is it. But even, like, how, how you work through Jesus or how Jesus works through that. That's different. Totally, yeah. Beyond the, the yeah. vastness of my mind. Yeah. And, and praise God for that, right? Yeah. And so here's one. So for years, I, I've talked about scarcity, having a scarcity mentality. And what I was taught and kind of what I leaned into is that if the the opposite of a scarcity mentality is an abundant mentality. And a few months ago, I actually taught on a scarcity mentality. And we talked about, it was the story of um, when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and all the disciples saw was what they didn't have. But Jesus knew he had access to all the heavenly realms and he could perform miracles because he was God in flesh, power and spirit. And I started realizing as I was writing, I'm like, oh, I don't know that I agree with my theological perspective anymore on this. I don't know that the opposite of scarcity is actually abundance. And here's why. If it's abundance in Christ, 100%. Yes. If the abundance is in who and, Jesus and, is in my relationship with Jesus, that is the abundant life. And that's actually what Jesus is referring to. But that's not what comes to mind when I think of the abundant life. What comes to mind for me is I've got abundant time and experiences. And every time I go to church, I'm going to have amazing worship experiences and I'm going to have more money. And that's where my mind goes. Everywhere you go, every circumstance is full of abundance. And and then I come to Philippians chapter four, where Paul says, hey, whether I'm in need or I'm in want, when I have plenty or I have nothing, whether I'm free or in prison, I'm content. And again, Brene Brown starts kind of start this when she actually said the opposite of scarcity is not abundance. It's wholeheartedness is what she goes to. Well, I think what the Bible prescribes is the way we resist the scarcity mentality is contentment. Mm-hmm. And and now here's the here's the thing that I'm still wrestling through and I don't I I know what I want to believe on it. I'm just not sure if I'm articulating it well. Hmm. Here's what I mean by this. Um how can I be content in who I am because I think we confuse contentment with apathy mm. or settling. And that's not what Paul never settled yeah, or even acceptance yes. isn't quite contentment. They are yeah. different words. So when I when I struggle with the fear of being enough, mm-hmm. that I'm not enough, how do I how am I content in my enoughness 
yeah. without it sounding self-centered because that is not what our culture teaches right. all the time. You're enough. I'm not enough. Right. Yeah. And that's where part of my contentment is, is I don't have to be enough. His grace is enough, as Paul says it. That's right. And so now all of a sudden I was thinking about this. I'm like, okay, so what does it mean <laughs> to be content in myself, even in my struggles? Right. How do you, how can you be content in your, in your weaknesses? What I was thinking was, how can you be content in your discontentment? Yes. <laughs> And then real, so, but because that's, that's the idea of like, and, and so here's where my, okay, I'm, I'm thinking like this. It does. It and is. I think, it's like knowing, knowing all I'm of perfectly your flaws. Imperfect. Yeah. Knowing all of your, and, and yet still acknowledging that, that God's grace is sufficient, that God is abundant, that God is who he is, that his character, there's a fullness of his character that is outside of anything I do or don't do or believe or don't like. It's about God's grace. It's it about is. God's enough, not mine. It's, it's that's absolutely. So right. do you get why I'm wrestling with it? Because okay. it seems so have, oxymoronic to I say I have like a theory that okay. just like contentment for me. And, and I don't know, contentment is a hard thing to grasp onto and like truly say is surrender. Yeah. Because then you're free. When you finally surrender, like if you think of like actively drowning, and you're fighting and you're trying to do it and you're in control. But then when you finally passively drown and you let go, it's terrifying. There's that fear of not being enough because you know deep down you're not enough. But when you, when you give it all over and it's completely surrendered, oh, that's when you can finally like relax. It's over. Yeah. So and in- the true contentment is in, in Christ's enoughness. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know... And how can you experience that without surrender? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think even about that abundance, you know, we, we talk about what the abundant life looks like. Jesus suffered on a cross. Yeah. He was alone in the garden. Abundance doesn't mean you're going to have it easy. Right. Does, yeah, that, right. And does that mean he didn't have the, like, did, did he not have the abundant life? I think he did. Yeah. So, but it wasn't from an outside perspective, an easy life. It wasn't a, a life yes. void of suffering. It was a life fully surrendered to the, to, to the Father and the Spirit and moving from there. So one of the things that I think they do this, I've, ne- I've never taken place in Navy Bud's training program. That's the SEALs training. <gasps> we, uh, went to a re- we went to their training uh, facility. Well, it was a museum. In Coronado? Uh, no, it was a museum in Fort Pierce, Florida. It was really cool. And then they had like a makeshift. Oh, I've, I've heard about like, it, yeah. Like uh, their physical agility amongst some other things. So really cool. one of the things <laughs> they do, because... and. and this is, I'm so glad you brought up the drowning thing. So one of the things they do is they want to, seals have to stay calm when things stay, get stressful. So they make them drown. Mm-hmm. They put them in a position where they lose oxygen and sometimes they'll, they have to be resuscitated. And the whole thing is, can you stay calm when you are, when, when something when you desperately life. need is gone, yeah. is at risk. And unfortunately they've had some training accidents in the last several years where a couple of seals have died during that. But for the most part, the reason why they do it is the exact same thing. What if sometimes God lets us drown so that he can actually do what he needs to do? In us? Okay. Just because burnout has been so prevalent on my mind and I have to be careful not to even idolize burnout and make sure I'm seeking God who helps me recover from burnout. But I was thinking about and talking to one of my good friends and trying to explain what I felt like burnout was like. And I said, I felt like drowning. I don't know if you've ever ran out of breath when you've been swimming underwater and I felt like I couldn't really hear anything. And if I opened my mouth to try to say anything, it would just, water would rush in. I can't see, I can't use my nose. I can't use any of my senses, but my chest was burning from the inside out that the oxygen was gone. And I was like, wow, what a good way to think about burnout. It's literally burning from the inside out. I felt like out of you. 
And I couldn't help but immediately think when I was talking to my friend about it, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that there was another in the fire. That even if, God, you let me drown here and I die, thank God I'm finally with you. And if not, you save me from this. Yeah. Praise God you were here with me. So as we look at that, if the opposite of, if the opposite of scarcity, if what, what, how we resist the lie of scarcity is contentment, then I think it requires a point in which we have to recognize enough is never enough. Yeah. Because that's the lie that I believe is, okay, and I've used this illustration before when I was younger. If like, if I could make a hundred bucks, I'd be so rich. Remember that? I remember the first time I got a hundred bucks, I was like 10 years old and I was like, I have a hundred dollars, right? Yeah. (laughs) And now here I am and and I'm 46, going to be 47 years old and a hundred bucks. I'm like, that's a movie. That's going out on a date night for the movies. Like that's a hundred bucks is nothing. And my cap, it's like a goldfish in the tank, right? The goldfish grows to the tank it's in. And eventually the tank isn't big enough. So you have to get a bigger tank. But what do you do? You keep on growing until the tank isn't big enough anymore. Insatiable. I am. Oh, go ahead. Well, and I was just going to say, and I think what contentment is, is the, the challenge, the spiritual formation of contentment, which is the work that God wants to do, is it's realizing Jesus has to be our enough. Mm-hmm. Because if money is the thing that I think is going to bring me enough, it never will. I think, yeah, because acceptance or even apathy, if you want to take a step further, is passive. Where contentment is a choice. You do yeah. have to choose to say, no, God, you are enough. But I do yeah. think it's important because I do think sometimes we associate contentment with settling. Yes. And well, that's, that's exactly it. It's not settling. The same thing. No. There is a joy, like there is a joy and a surrender associated with contentment. The other th- I think well, for me, I look at contentment being the thing that helps you to stand firm. I think of generosity being the thing that helps you push against the kingdom. Oh, of amen. Amen. So yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, no, to be content keeps me planted. But if I want to fight back and bring God's then kingdom, I have then I have to overcome oh, yeah. my my yeah. lack of enoughness with uh, I give out, you of, everything. out of Christ's enoughness yeah. supplying that to other people. I well, and, and if we do that, and this is where we how we foster contentment, I think one, that vulnerability. We have to have yeah. people that we can say, you know, I struggle with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to touch on this too. You have to have people, but it doesn't have to be a hundred people. No, it could be two. Like to what you were saying, one. one person, two yeah. people. And I think it's, I, I actually prefer to have more than one because sometimes that one person might be in a bad place or maybe they're they're human beings. We get different perspectives. Yeah, having different perspectives yeah. is so helpful. And having more people to pray for you. I mean, but I'm just, I think but sometimes, I, the, I think sometimes we think we have to share with everyone and no. I don't think that's, and I share different things with, with different, different people. people. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, and, and so if you go from vulnerability, which is having somebody, you have to have somebody you can confess to. Amen. We then went into the stop comparing. So much of, of discontentment is about comparison. Oh. If so-and-so has so much money. If I had this, I, I was thinking about, okay, when I first entered into ministry, my dream, I just wanted to be a youth pastor, mm-hmm. youth and worship. And I was like, if I got there, oh my gosh, it'd be amazing. I get there. And it wasn't as amazing as I thought it would be. And then it was, you know, if I was just a teaching pastor, because I'd go to conferences and I'd see teaching pastors, then I became a teaching pastor. And I was like, oh, I still didn't meet the need. And then it was, well, I I was just a lead pastor. And then I became a lead pastor. And guess what? I still wasn't satisfied. And I think that's the, I I had to learn. There were a couple things I stopped doing in each one of those. and, And this comes down to that fourth practice. I stopped being grateful along the way and I always mm. looked for the next thing. 
Yep. It's, and you can't look at the next thing and be grateful for the current one. Well, and that's, that is similar to what we were talking about with COVID. I even think about that. Like we do this on vacation. It's a terrible practice. While we're on vacation, my husband and I will plan our next vacation. <laughs> you know, my, my like, let's just enjoy the current vacation world. My favorite <laughs> thing about gratefulness and fostering contentment is it is so present. Yeah. It's the present. You are it, yeah. not thinking about the red flags back that you should have learned or from yeah. or forward of what you'll need when you're backpack, when you go to staff meeting. Yeah. You're, hey, hey I know <laughs> but you're completely present and you say, I might not be enough, but God, right now I am, I'm exactly where I need to be right now. Yeah. How I need to be. I kind of forgot. Would, I was would you, would you, would you agree that? Yes. <laughs> Probably not. The enemy, Satan's primary way. I mean, he uses circumstance. Oh, yeah. He almost always uses circumstances when it comes to scarcity. I don't have, look what I'm missing, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Would you agree that part of the reason why as Christians we struggle with it is when we're in that circumstance, we don't put our attention on what God was doing. We're only looking at what we're missing in that moment. Would you agree yeah. with that? I think that when you're in a valley, you know, we say that as Christians, like hills and valleys and the hilltop experiences or mountaintop experiences, the, the, the really highs, the really goods. And you think of valleys and it's like, man, and hopefully because you're in a valley, you have to be looking up. But I don't think that we're always looking at Jesus. I think we're looking yeah. at the mountaintop we wish we were on. Psalm 121. I left my eyes up to the mountain. Where does my help come from? Amen. And usually from I'm Lord. looking up to the mountain and I'm going, I wish I was up there. That's right. <laughs> but if you only were this. one tick higher and you looked at God, man, you'd get to that mountaintop. Yeah. I, I heard uh, a quote. I forget who it was from, but it was like in regards to comparison, don't compare your blooper reel to somebody else's highlight reel. Because often that's all you can see is the Facebook posts or the Instagram yeah. posts that are on our vacation, we're having a blast. And it's like, but you didn't see that the kids were fighting all morning and we didn't get to do the ride that we wanted to do. Yeah. Or the buffet was shut down or whatever. Well, I even think about that as your day ruiner. I don't know. That in comparison <laughs> to positions. Like when I was youth pastor, I was like, oh, well, my... Of course, the lead pastor has it easier. I mean, he's got this, he's got this. Yeah. And then I get into that role and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that has a different set of challenges. Yeah. And and it's okay. When I was a kid. Just because you can see in a window doesn't mean you know what's in the house. That's right. When, when I was a kid, I wanted so desperately to be an adult. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, man, I wish I was a kid again. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I mean, think about the carefreeness, the things that I was so stressed about as a kid where I'm like, I would give anything where the only thing I was worried about was getting good grades. Yeah. Mm. But, and again, but that's, isn't that, that's the human condition. And that's what the devil plays on is the devil looks for those cracks. He looks for those, those weaknesses in our armor and goes, I'm going to exploit that. Mm. If your fear is this, if your fear is I'm not going to be courageous, I'm going to, I'm going to press on that, Jennifer. Jason, if your fear is that you're not going to be wanted, oh, I'm going to put things around you. And man, I'm going to do that because he knows, because he's, he's smart, he's cunning, he's ruthless. And the only way we can guard against that, and this is where self-awareness and community is so important, by me confessing, if I confess my sin, if I confess my weakness in this to my brothers and sisters in Christ, when that comes up, they can be the ones to remind me and say, hey, Jason, remember when you just confessed that that's one of your fears? Do you think maybe the devil's messing with that? Oh, hey, you're right. But if I keep it to myself, 
If I have no one in my life, no one to be vulnerable with, man, the enemy has a field day with me because I'm I'm a lone soldier out in the field with no one having my yeah, back. Yeah, what is that? Ecclesiastes 4.10, two are better than one because if two fall down, yeah. you're there to help each other up. But if one, yeah. take pity on them for they have no oh, one to help them up. Right? Yeah, and, and that's, and I think this is, as, as we're looking at this, you know, the whole point of this series is not just that we're in spiritual warfare. If we're not aware of the devil's schemes, we shouldn't be surprised when we're being caught off guard by them. We shouldn't yeah. be shocked when all of a sudden we're finding ourselves upside down. Yeah, but, it's like if if someone sneaks up on you, you shouldn't be surprised when they snuck up on you when you never turn around. <laughs> yeah, or if I'm, if I'm walking through an alley in the middle of the night, of course I'm going to be scared, if, especially if I'm by myself. But yeah. when I'm in a group, if I'm in a group of 10 with us, I had a friend of mine who was a bodybuilder, big dude, and I'm like, dude, you're the guy I want in the back alley with me. Because no one's going to mess with me. They see this guy who's, you know... <laughs> He was like right. five foot ten, but he was five foot ten wide too, and it was all muscle. But most of the time, we try and go life alone, and the enemy's like, "That's easy." And I, sometimes, and this is the irony; it's the paradox of it. Sometimes, the the reason why we have so much scarcity is because we purposely set ourselves up with lack. We isolate. We, we've isolated ourselves. We've put ourselves in that position, and then we wonder how the devil gets hold of us. Yeah, well, it's like I don't. I don't know. I was just trying to think like. Why, why do we do that? Why is that the, the go-to? And like, I guess for me, maybe this is, this applies to a lot of other people, but it's like, I'll go it alone so that when I do succeed or when I do finally get whatever I want, then I can be lauded for it or something. It's like, why is that? You know, I don't think that would even bring what I wanted anyways, you know? It just goes back to that whole uh, not having enough. It's like, well, maybe I did get what I wanted, but it wasn't actually really what, what I, I wanted. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think, what all of us are guilty of. The things we think we want, we actually get them and go, ooh, what is it? Be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. And usually... So you might actually get it. Yeah. Like, if you want fame, look at the people who want fame. They get it and they realize how lonely fame is. Yeah. Or the guys, I mean, even right now, and, and I'll end with this, but, you know, professional football. You have all these guys who dream their entire life of playing professional football. And now look at that damage that's coming from CTE. Yeah. You know, every everything, even in ministry. Oh, I couldn't wait to be in ministry. And then once I got in, I realized <laughs> that the church is filled with imperfect people. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm who it's less like the womb <laughs> where so, you're all the protected. Staff is in. Too, that's the worst part. <laughs> that's right. Well, hey, this is this has been a good one. Um, can't wait for next week. It's uh, this whole series. I think God's been doing some really cool stuff. Um, but uh, if I could give one encouragement, one warning is the minute you start talking about spiritual warfare, don't be surprised when you're experiencing it. That's right. And I can tell you, I've seen it in my own life. I've I've seen it this week. I've heard it from other people, but our victory is in Christ. Amen. And our abundance is in Christ. Our abundance is in in what we have in the natural is what we have in the supernatural through Jesus. Well, hey, this has been a good time. Thank you guys. This is Breakthrough Breakdown. I'm Jason. Jennifer. I'm Kate. And I'm John. Have an awesome day. I love you, Bobcock. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown.